Welcome to I'm Obsessed With This, the Netflix podcast about the shows and films viewers cannot get enough of, sort of like the cheese sandwiches for people who attended Firefest. I am your host, Bobby Finger, and today we are going to talk about a little movie that came out about eight months ago called Fire, The Greatest Party That Never Happened. It's a documentary about the ill-fated Fire Festival, um, the music festival that had just the biggest expectations behind it, very expensive, every influencer went, Kendall Jenner promoted it on her Instagram, and it promised to be the most exclusive and the best music festival of all time, like Woodstock Who, Coachella Wishes, honestly, and then everything fell to pieces. That is what the documentary is about. It's wonderful, you should watch it if you have not. Um, I watched it the day it came out because I could not wait, I was not disappointed, and arguably the most memorable line was uttered by our guest on today's very special episode, the season two premiere of I'm Obsessed With This. And today I am joined via FaceTime audio, the lovely clear FaceTime audio, by producer and noted talking head in the Netflix original documentary, Fire, The Greatest Party That Never Happened, Andy King. Hello, Andy. Thank you for speaking with me today. No problem. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited to be speaking. <laughs> uh, is that a good title? Producer, noted talking head, what would you like to be called? Um, I think probably producer is fine i mean i'm um it's funny because i'm suffering today from a little ptsd after the old um american greed finally cnn did their piece did you see it last night no i didn't see it yeah god i don't i mean it, it was kind of more factual and sort of on fire more, more hulu-ish yeah mm -hmm. on fi all on fire yeah. Um, oh, God. And I sat on the edge of my seat praying that I would not be mentioned. And I wasn't. <laughs> you, you weren't? No. What a relief. <clears throat> what a relief. I know that there was one part where literally our creative art director said, Andy, I, I'm, I am done here. You need to call Billy and tell him if he doesn't pay all these fucking bills. Nothing's going to be cleared in customs. Nothing's going to make it through. There will be no festival. And he grabbed my phone from me and he just dialed it and he just started screaming <laughs> at Billy on the line. And then Billy at the end of the conversation, all you heard was yes, understood. And that was it. But of course nothing got paid. So of course I crawled into bed last night going, oh my god, the memories are coming back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Had they kind of subsided after a while? Pretty much, yeah. I mean it was it was a tough one, I'm not gonna lie. Definitely a tough one. But 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 you know, um and, and you know what's funny is that, you know, thank you, Netflix. Um, it literally wasn't until the premiere of the documentary, The Night in New York City, where my part came up. I'm sitting in the middle of the audience, and all of a sudden, I just start to shrink down like, oh, shit, here it comes. Here mm -hmm. it comes. And everybody stood up and gave me a standing ovation. And it really wasn't until that point that I knew that things were going to change in a positive direction. And that was the first, was that the first time you'd seen it with an audience? Oh yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. As you probably guessed, so this is a show about obsession and usually we talk about like the Netflix titles that people are obsessed with, but I think we should just sort of move that until later since we're already kind of talking about it. We're fortunate enough to have someone on the show today, you, who is the object of obsessions. <laughs> and you uttered that, I guess now infamous line when recounting that particularly intense request from Billy, um, yeah. who was the founder of the Firefest. Um, and you instantly became this sort of notorious figure, this iconic meme figure from the documentary. And I think that you were sort of nervous about seeing what the audience response to that would be. And I 
correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I read that you wanted that cut from it originally. You, your lawyers gave you counsel that like that should go away. Can you can you tell me that story? Yeah, they definitely said that that would um, ruin my career. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it was funny because at the end of the day, I literally. I, we had the interviews up here at the farm with Chris. And mm-hmm. then during the interview, I basically said, hey, Chris, I'm going to tell you a story. I know you won't use this. Ha, ha, ha. But <laughs> let me tell you a story. So I tell the story. And, every, you know, you could see all, everybody was in shock listening to it going, oh, my God. Can you set the scene? Like, how many, how many people are in this crew? How many people are in your home listening to you tell this story for the first time? We were out in my barn. And um, I was trying to make it more of a casual setting and less formal. Mm-hmm. And... Um, gosh, probably maybe six or eight of us. And um, and I just thought, oh, what the heck? You know what? I'm just going to tell this story. And I told it. You could see all their faces just drop. Their mouths are wide open. I'm like, oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> I do the wrong thing. So then I called my business partner that night. And he's like, hold on. Let me get Jessica, our lawyer, on the line. So she pops on. I tell them. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. You need to pull that. You have to pull that. That's bad, bad, bad. Like, An understandable oh, response from a lawyer, I guess. Yeah. And I so, of course, I call Chris. And Chris is like, Andy, you don't understand. What you said in such a great, calm, matter-of-fact way was perfect. And it basically describes just how crazy it got down there. Yeah. And so I said, okay, I got it. And he said, Andy, you have to trust me. Like, we need this in the documentary because of the demonstration of craziness, but also it broke, broke up the intensity of like everything just getting fucked up and more fucked up and more fucked up. And then suddenly Andy says this line and people take a deep breath and half of the viewers, I think, put, put it on rewind and went back to go, wait a minute, did he really just say that? I certainly did. You know, <laughs> just right on back, just to make sure that what I heard was actually what you said. Oh, boy. Billy called and said, Andy, we need you to take one big thing for the team. And I said, oh my gosh, I've been taking something for the team every day. He said, well, you're our wonderful gay leader and we need you to go down. Will you suck dick to fix this water problem? And I said, Billy, what? He said, Andy, if you will go down and suck Cunningham's dick, who's the head of customs, and get him to clear all of the containers with water, you will save this festival. And I literally drove home, took a shower. I, 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 I drank some mouthwash. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm really, and I got into my car to drive across the island to take one for the team. And I got to his office fully prepared to suck his dick. The calmness of that delivery adds to its memorability because I feel like if you had been sort of all over the place and, and spastically recounting this story. It, it, number one, it wouldn't have been believable, but it, it wouldn't have been as, it just wouldn't have been as intense. Like just to, to show sort of the banality of, of how everything got by the end of it, it got so crazy that it almost didn't seem crazy anymore, you know, by that point in the Firefest operations. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, when, when was the point of your participation in Firefest that you sort of thought, wow, this is really sort of going off the rails? Was it that point or was it before? Oh, gosh. You know, honestly, I mean, you might think I'm smoking crack, but it really wasn't until the storm hit. You okay. know? It's like, we could still make this happen. We can still make yeah. this happen. And I just, I kept saying to everybody, listen, if Woodstock is still rated as one of the most successful music festivals in the world, no one dwells on 
the thousand cars that were, you know, lined up on the New York State Thruway. My brother said that they walked something like over nine miles, left the car on the side of the road and, and walked over nine miles to get in. And once they got in, forget it. It was chaos. There was no check-in at that point. No one was even taking tickets. It was a mudslide, drug overdoses. It was, it was just, you know, and I'm like, that was in the corner of my mind the whole time. You know what? If that worked, I, this this will work. And, and I still will stand tall to say if the fucking cheese sandwich hadn't gone viral and Blink-182 or a couple of the other acts had flown in from Nassau 10 minutes away and started <laughs> playing on that beautiful stage on the beach and people are drinking tequila and we're making, you know, grouper sandwiches and people in their bathing suits. We would have salvaged part of it. It wouldn't have been as huge of a disaster. It would have been kind of disappointing. But as you know in the doc, I arrived six weeks out, right. and I sat with Billy, and I said, okay, I'm going to tell you one thing. You just need to take take a moment and change the messaging. This has to get to all guests. This is not a luxury music festival anymore. No. This is a music festival on a beautiful island in the Bahamas, and we got to just people to sleeping in tents and blah, 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 blah. We would have lost 10% of the, of the attendees, I think, maybe a little bit more, mm-hmm. but we would have salvaged it. But he just wouldn't do it. I didn't know about your relationship to kind of upstate New York. Are you from New York? Because I feel like the proximity to Woodstock, especially since you said your brother w- attended it, sort of kind of, it, it helps provide a little context as to why this wasn't as big of a red flag to you as it may have been to other people. You didn't attend Woodstock, but your brother did, just to clarify that. Yeah, two of my brothers did. So we grew up in New Jersey, but my father grew up in New York. Okay. Um, and so this is our our world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm one of nine children, so I have five brothers, four of them of which are older, two of which went to Woodstock. So we always heard all the stories. Wow. And uh, so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep pushing and keep pushing. And I couldn't let people down. I just, you know, and people just kept saying, are you sure, Andy? I'm like, you know what? What are we? We have no choice here. Like, do I just pack it in and say, sorry, I'm leaving everybody? Like, um, and Billy was driven. And as you know, he had borrowed so much money that he couldn't turn back. You know, he didn't have a choice. Um, He had to deliver something. I feel like this wasn't really, I mean, there was so much else to cover in the documentary, but what is your professional uh, background? 25 years of, of, of large corporate events and mostly for Wall Street. Um, so a lot, big budgets. Yeah, big budgets. And then, but then, you know, 2008 hit and we had to really, you know, it was an industry shift and we needed to get very creative to figure out how to do large events for lesser money. Um, Wall Street stopped entertaining overnight. Then I started doing a fair amount in the tech world and um, the entertainment world. Budgets were small for a while, but then they grew again. Um, I produced a couple mini music festivals for a tech company in New York, actually, and then produced a mini Coachella for a finance firm, financial firm. Did it right on the Coachella grounds out in Palm Springs. So I'd had some experience of doing these music festivals. Mm-hmm. Um, but more on my terms and, and obviously more like having six months to plan it and not six weeks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and on a, please tell me not to ask this question if, if I shouldn't ask it. Did you end up getting paid by Billy? Because I found myself wondering that right after I watched it. No, no, Nothing. no, no, no. And that was the norm among people he hired, right? Like very few people actually got paid. Correct. And then last night it was interesting because it was finally officially released really that 
he he got me to go down there as well as a few other people and major investors because he had announced that he had a um, he had sold Magnesis, mm-hmm. um, his black credit card company, for almost forty million dollars, and that um, I was about to receive a check for seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which was the stock that I had in his first company. And, and that, uh, that just never came. I, I, I no. bet. <laughs> no. Of course. And then what had happened was that the conversation he was having with the potential buyers, they were going to close the deal at fire at the music festival. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. So that didn't happen either. So, um, and you didn't know this until last night watching the, the CNN thing. Yeah. I didn't really realize it hadn't been totally outlined properly. I was getting a lot of mixed signals from people on what exactly had happened to Magnesis. I know he's had to file bankruptcy right after fire, but he had told me that it had sold um, the deal. Then I learned the deal was going to be closed at the festival, um, but I didn't realize that he kind of used that with a lot of investors as well as me to get people to come to help. He keeps finding new ways to sort of become the villain of this story, and I think, and I think that, for lack of a better word, he is the villain in the documentary. At the very least, just like more generally, just the antagonist and uh, and the people who spent you know thousands and thousands of dollars to attend this thing and then ate the cheese sandwiches. They're sort of easier to ridicule because it's kind of hard. It's just hard to feel too much sympathy for someone who had the means to attend fire to begin with. And so I think that was the perfect storm of, of a scenario to make the audience pretty sympathetic towards you, or at least, I guess, endeared towards you. And I was wondering if that's been your experience after the documentary premiered. Are people kind to you? Do they respect you? And if people approach you, are they friendly when they do so? Um I'd say 99.9% are very friendly and very kind, which is amazing. So it's really that 0.1% where a car drives by and goes, oh, my God, it's Andy King. Will you suck my dick? I'm like, oh, no. No, no, not not this afternoon. No, I'm a little bit. (laughs) But other than that, you'd be surprised. Oh, my gosh. From airport security PSAs to waiters to, you know, anybody who's had the, the, the ability to watch the Netflix doc. Um, and was that overnight? Like, that was overnight. I mean, immediately. It was just, I couldn't even believe it. Standing on the sidewalk in New York City or in LA or walking into a restaurant, people start pointing. And there's always a few, few selfies wherever I am. There's always. Um, and now, you know, I get up on stage. I'm doing, you know, I'll be doing a speaking engagement in Louisville, Kentucky next week. Following week, I'm in Brisbane, Australia then London, then, um, um, well, you name it, there's a pretty heavy schedule. And I get up on stage and I say, listen, guys, I'm the biggest, one of the biggest failures, visible failures in pop culture today as, you know, the producer of of the failed fire festival. Um, and I say, but you learn more from your failures than you do from your successes. And I hold my head up high and it's given me an amazing amount of power. And I think it's predominantly when I talk to other industry people as well as leaders, they're like, Andy, you demonstrated something. You you basically, you know, through the means now, I mean, I'm the ultimate team player. I'm the guy that will do anything to get the job done. And this is what I think, you know, Gen Zs and Gen Xs and millennials, you know, who are their mentors? Who do they look up to today? And suddenly they're looking up to me to go, and they say, listen, that fucking guy was willing to do anything. He was going to do anything to save the music festival. And he wasn't complaining about it. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, I get up on stage, I say, you know what, I'm not suggesting that each and every one of you suck every dick in the neighborhood to make us, <laughs> you know, make a new business work. But you might have to do something you've never dreamed you'd have to do to make something successful. And it could be five all-nighters. It could be borrowing money from your friends. It could be, I don't know what. If your heart and you're passionate about something and you want it to work, you might have to go the extra mile. And, you know, I think people really respect that, right? Yeah, and this all and this all came immediately due to the aftermath of the documentary. Like this sort of side career that you've that you've created, was that even in the cards before fire? No, God no, not at all. <clears throat> no, it was all just I mean, who is this guy who has got silver hair who just you want to rewind and hear what he said three times. You cannot believe what he just said in this documentary. Fully prepared to suck his dick. Fully prepared. To suck his dick. Fully prepared to suck his dick. And then suddenly, that's like, wow, he's cool. That guy says it how it is. He's not complaining. And he basically, he's the ultimate team player. That's the guy you want to work for. That's you. That's the guy you want to work for you. And that's, that's he's the guy that hopefully you're going to surround yourself with um, in the workplace and at home and with friends, right? Right. So <clears throat> hopefully, you know, and, and the irony, of course, is that I hate social media. I've always hated social media. I, I thought it was the most, you know, I always joke to people. I say, thumbs up, thumbs down, fuck you. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, how dare people? I, I hate the criticism that is constantly going back and forth. And I say, listen, if you're going to post something, find somebody that's doing something amazing and highlight it and compliment them and try to inspire people around you to do the right thing. And so, as you may have learned, you know, my event business is a zero waste event business. That's the irony of everything is that I was going to suck the dick of the customs officer to clear 200,000 plastic water bottles. I don't have plastic at any of my events. Really? So that was the irony of it all. But that deal had been cut before I'd gotten down there, so I didn't have a choice. But I'm proud to be able to try to inspire you know, kids today to do the right thing. And yes, some, what's on the horizon? Yeah, another music festival. But let me tell you something. You know, We'll make the announcement soon enough about what it's going to be and where, but it's going to be a zero-waste music festival. And I'm going to highlight local farmers and local artisans. And um, I want to inspire young kids to do the right thing today. And it's all being helped out by the the notoriety that you gained from this one this one little kind of almost throwaway line from a documentary. Um, that's that's pretty incredible, actually. Isn't it? It doesn't happen today very often. I was going to, I was sort of going to lead into that because I feel like for the most part, we think of there's been so much talk about uh, there still is all the time of how nasty the internet has become lately and when you are the subject of a meme it's usually sort of vicious and if not explicitly hateful at least sort of subtly hateful and when you sort of went everywhere back in early 2019 when the when the documentary was released i feel like it was it's easy to think that it could have actually ruined your life because that's the narrative that we're used to hearing in 2019. And it seems to have done the opposite. That's, that's sort of how it seems like to me. Is that something that you've sort of been able to throw back in the face of your uh, your your lawyers and the agents who told you to cut that line? Is that satisfying to you? Absolutely. You know, and I think what's crazy, even my close friends, when they first saw it, were like, oh my God, Andy, we're so <laughs> sorry. Oh, are you okay? I'm like, well, yeah, besides the fact that it was, you know, six incredibly stressful weeks mm -hmm. and then 
the aftermath with um, you know uh, the following months of, of how I felt and uh, everything else was very very stressful. But at the end of the day, yes, this has become an incredibly positive situation. I think one of the challenges really is um, you know how do you balance it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've lost my anonymity, so it's a little bit difficult for me to go anywhere without people pointing. Um, and I'm like, why why is it that I'm I've been invited to several celebrities' homes in, in, in Hollywood and in L.A. for parties, and then I'm the celebrity? <laughs> and I'm like, wait, how, did, how am I? The, and they're like, Andy, everybody just wants to have their picture taken with you. This is hysterical. This is great. Thanks for coming. I'm like, wow, well, Leo, I don't know why. Or, <laughs> hey, am I, like, why, why am I the celebrity? Like, Andy, Leo. You, <laughs> you said it. Like, you've said that line, and everybody would ever be too, too scared to ever, you know. I mean, why do you think you're... Ellen's favorite meme, like, I got it, yeah, <laughs> I mean, there it is, but there is the pressure, obviously, now of, of with all this visibility, and with this platform, I can't screw up, you know, and I want to inspire kids to do the right thing today, and we're, you know, I only have about 50,000 followers on Instagram, and we're now trying to develop a strategy of, you know, before we really push it hard, and get the numbers way up, you know, what am I posting every day? Well, I have to post things that are sustainable. I'm trying to focus on social environmental impact and I want, I want to inspire people to do the right thing. But that's kind of a nerve wracking platform because I can't, if I'm, you know, now I'm talking to like organizations like Pepsi and I say, all right, Pepsi, I worked there years ago. Pepsi has done, is doing amazing things in the world of sustainability, but nobody knows about it. Their messaging stinks. And I said, okay, guys, can we talk about how we can improve your messaging with Life Water or Naked or a lot of your brands. Because young kids today are going to st- stop buying your brand. Because, you know, but if I screw up and look like a wolf in sheep's clothing, I'm done. You know, that's that's the issue with the internet, right? Yeah. It'll take me down. I mean, no one talks about the fact that I was profiled on the front page of the Wall Street Journal in 1994 on April Fool's Day. And then I was on the front page of the National Enquirer, I was at New York Post, at Pepsi, he's the right one, uh-huh, I'm America's first corporate concierge, that's the concept they developed to help corporate employees balance their work lives and personal lives so that they're more productive in work and happier at home. And, um, but there was no social media then, so it didn't go viral, you know, only yeah. people who read the Wall Street Journal knew who I was, and um, blah, blah, blah. So, anyway, it's pretty fascinating to see today, but I've been given this platform and it's kind of pressure because I can't screw up. Yeah, this sort of low-level hum that is just always going to be there, I guess, yeah. from now on. And is it amazing? Like, because of Netflix's reach, it's not going away. It doesn't mm-hmm. go away. And every t- wherever I go, you know, my partner will go, um, there's a spotting to your right. I'm going to look over. <laughs> yeah. No, there's two spottings, you know, or we're at a Best Buy. Two people recognize you and they're pointing and pulling out their phones and like, okay. Yeah, so so that that sort of that hasn't really waned since since January. I mean, it hasn't really even really been a year, but it's it's always there. Do you get a little anonymity upstate, like in in kind of your home area, or do people still look and whisper and pull out their phones? Um, you know, there's only 1,800 people that live in my town, and and I don't go into town all the time. So. But those 1,800 people, a lot of them probably have Netflix subscriptions. <laughs> Yeah, so they would know me if they saw me. (laughs) They do see me at the grocery store every once in a while, so um, and I'll get the pointing and that kind of thing. Um, But yeah, I think it's you know it's not 
let's see. And, you know, after the Emmys, yeah, I think it's going to be even more intense, I'm oh, sure. So are you, or will you be going? I'm not sure. Okay. Probably. Probably. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Chris is, Chris is like, Andy, I'm not accepting anything on my own. Like, right, <laughs> we'll, talk, we'll talk about it. But, I mean, you, uh, are, you are the star and Billy's in jail, so. <laughs> I am the star of Billy's in jail. Can you believe? I know. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! What What is the name of your speaking series? Like, do you, does it have a an all encompassing name that you're using as it as it tours around the world? It should. There isn't one. That's a good idea, though. I am. You know, we did. We had a team meeting, a team conference call today with my team that works for me, and mm-hmm. um, we're starting a new entity right now called Royal Flush Entertainment, and um, uh, where we, I'm going to take on probably four or five events a year with big companies or small companies mm-hmm. um, that will predominantly be zero waste. You know, last year I did the big fundraiser for Leo um, out in Sonoma and helped him raise over 9 million bucks for climate change. And it was a dinner for almost 500 people. And we were 99.9% zero waste, which was amazing. You are the object of someone's obsession of many people's obsession. Obviously we've learned that over the past half hour, but what have you, if anything, have you been watching on Netflix lately that you've been really liking? It doesn't have to be new. If it's Friends, it's Friends, you know? <laughs> um, it's probably, I'm not a, you know, I'm, I'm a good representative of the gay community, but I'm a very conservative guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is fascinating to watch Queer Eye um, and to sort of see, you know, the transformations they're able to do. And how they're able to go into kind of rural America and be accepted mm-hmm. uh, is kind of inspiring to me. So that's kind of one of my favorite ones to watch. Yeah, that's and I haven't finished this this most recent season, but everything before it has been really surprising to me. I was wondering how well that show would age, um, you know, almost twenty years after the fact, and it turns out it aged it aged pretty well. Yeah, I mean, the irony for me is that. Years ago, I got a call from a friend of mine who's a casting agent who described this new television show called Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, and <clears throat> she asked if I would audition for it. So I said, sure. <laughs> so I went through a, a few auditions, and then waiting with bated breath, um, she called me and said, I don't know how to tell you this, but everybody loves you, but you're just not gay enough. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? So the guy who said he would suck a dick to save a music festival is not gay enough to be on Queer Eye for the Straight yeah. Guy. That is unbelievable. The guy who wasn't gay enough to be on Queer Eye, but yeah, I'm gonna suck a big dick. <laughs> All right. well, what were you? Good. What were you auditioning for? Do you do you know which position you would have filled? Was it culture, or food, or food? Probably because I had just written Quick and Easy, my first cookbook, Quick and Easy Menus for Entertaining, <laughs> which had just been released, and I had done a little short series on the Food Network called Chef Du Jour. So this is all in 1994. Whoa. And um, so I was like before my time. And you, could have, and you could have been Ted Allen and hosted Shopped. There Just it is. It all, it all could have gone there instead. Wow, you're yeah, not God gay works. enough. I am I, <laughs> I'm almost yeah, speechless. Not gay enough. I know. That is and wild. I almost, said, I almost said bend over and bark like a dog. <laughs> but I didn't say that. That wouldn't have been appropriate. No, no. Well, maybe that would have, maybe that would have worked. Uh, you're probably right. I probably would have gotten the show. At that point. <laughs> we weren't going to give it to him, but then he told me to bend over and bark like a dog. And we said, you know, this guy is gay enough. It's going to be okay. 
I think it's going to work out. Yep. <laughs> so that's sort of it. And then you're right. I mean, from the Netflix perspective, obviously, um, I did. Um, I do, I've been watching a few different older documentaries, which is kind of fun. Yeah, I was going to ask um, if you're a documentary person. A little bit. Um, I feel like my life is stressful enough. I don't need to like absorb too many others. But I love watching Chris's documentaries, which is amazing. Um, and so I've been following some of his work. And uh, yeah, we'll see that. Probably not more of the heavy TV than the lighter. <laughs> right. That makes sense. Um, uh, I, I don't want to keep you for too much longer, but, uh, a question that, uh, a coworker of mine wanted me to ask you to end this. And I think is a great way to, to put, to bring this to a close is, you know, there's the classic question, what's your, you know, desert Island pick, what's your desert Island book and movie and TV show? I guess what's your Firefest book Island TV show? What are you watching? If you got to be stuck on, uh, on, in the grand Caymans in the un, unfinished Firefest for the rest of your life. <laughs> what will I watch? What series or series or series or or, or, or movie or book? Um, or book. Gosh. Um, I mean, my favorite all time book is always Catcher in the Rye. I've always felt that I was definitely the reincarnation of Holden Caulfield. <laughs> um, I'm always the one that people are looking at. I'm in the middle of the room, but I'm actually in the middle of the room, but I'm standing outside looking in. I could tell you what everybody's wearing and what they're doing. Um, that's always a book I love to pull up and every once in a while and reread. Um, Holden would be a good event planner, I think. Oh, definitely. Oh my God. He'd love to like mix things up, fuck people up a little bit. Um, then I'm a, I'm a total fixer upper kind of a guy. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'd probably have just tape after tape after tape after tape of fixer upper real estate shows, um, to inspire me to figure out what to do with all those coconuts and the palm fronds and how I could make the coolest beach house ever um, on my little island. And um, and then, of course, you know, I love to cook and I'm a huge, well, I've got my big farm, so I'm a huge gardener. So I, as long as I have all my gardening tools and seeds um, to plant amazing gardens and prepare great feasts for Anybody who would get stranded on the island with me, I think we'd be in good shape. That honestly sounds like a potential Netflix pilot. So you should let your team know. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, on island with Andy King, I think that uh, someone wanted me to do a, a, uh, a, gay, a gay dating show called uh, Fire on Fire Island. I mean, there are all these options. All of these are great. Yeah. But I was like, I don't know if I want to be pushed into that <laughs> corner, but maybe who knows? I've never been to... I'm such a great gay man. I've never been to Fire Island, but someday maybe. Someday. Yeah, someday. Um, yeah, there's always next summer. There's always this summer. Who knows? But thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I know you want to jump out into the pool right now, and I don't oh want to keep God. you any further. Well, thank you for listening to my stories, and hopefully I've inspired some people to think beyond like the negative things with failure, right? Yeah. And how do you, how do you turn failure into something really positive absolutely i I think i think you're a great example of that but thanks a lot you're welcome it was great to chat with you have a great one bye yeah you too ciao for now and thank you for listening to another episode of i'm obsessed with this we will be back next week with an all-new episode and you can watch or re-watch fire the greatest party that never happened on netflix right now